Welcome to Two Therapist Tales, a podcast where Jacqueline Sabodi and Anna Zonin work to normalize conversations about mental health. Welcome back to Two Therapist Tales. I'm Jacqueline Sabodi. And this is Anna Zonin. And today we have an extra special guest with us, Raquel P. Jones. Raquel is a licensed clinical social worker in New York and New Jersey. She graduated from Hunter College School of Social Work in 1994 and has a private psychotherapy practice called Transforming Lives Counseling Service and a parenting coaching practice called Empowered Parenting Solutions. Her psychotherapy practice focuses on the mental health needs of women and children of color with anxiety, disordered eating, childhood trauma, and also maternal mental health for women who are currently pregnant or recently gave birth. Her coaching practice helps parents learn positive discipline techniques. Find out more on her website, RaquelPJonesLCSW.com. Today, we want to get together to talk about all the things related to the intersection of mental health and the current racial and social climate. We also have, joining us again, Malia Siegel. Our very special RPT (laughs) registered play therapist who, um, who, uh, you know, is a blessing to us at the Therapy Institute. Yeah. So welcome, ladies. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much for joining us, talking about something so important that um, I think a lot of the world is um, facing right now. So we're going to jump right in. Um, We want to talk a bit about how we see race impacting our mental health community as therapists and as clients. So anyone can begin that feels (laughs) inspired to do so. Um, it definitely has affected most of, almost all of my clients. 90% of my clients are black women and mm. children. And you know, being that we're in New York, there have been a lot of protests and a lot of unrest. And it's been a difficult time. But I think it's always been difficult. But I think now mm-hmm. it's just getting worse. And also a lot of my clients have had their white friends reaching out to them And it's been hard because they're thinking, well, didn't you realize that racism was still going on? Mm -hmm, Like people are reaching out to them and acting as, you know, saying how they're so sorry and everything. But, Mm. you know, this isn't a new thing. Right. And, you know, I think it's just really difficult for people to have to feel they have to explain themselves to everyone. I've had the same thing happen to myself. I had lots of people reach out to me all of a sudden, you know, to apologize for racism as if racism Mm. just started. And it certainly did not. Right. It's very, that's really interesting because I think sometimes we don't think about certain things, right, that exist and they're always been there and something needs to like right. explode on the news or wherever. And then you're like, oh, okay, now we, you know, <laughs> it, it's right. But it's unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's, you know, a lot of the ways that our culture works. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, interesting. I think like you think back to like five or six years ago, I think the conversations about racism and white supremacy, I think people had internalized or like had the messaging like, well, I didn't own slaves. Like I'm not to blame. And like, there was like a big, um, like a defense response to people talking about racism. Racism is like a very uh, prickly word. Mm -hmm. And it felt, I think, for people to be like, oh, like, well, my grandmother's kind of racist, but like, I don't want to talk about her in that way because racist, to call someone racist is quote unquote mean. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it seems like now we've at least arrived at a place where it feels like a safer, softer word to Mm -hmm. use. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like that point. That's, yeah, I feel like that's what I've noticed and kind of been um, absorbing from. social media and chats with friends and colleagues. Um, How do you guys feel like it's impacted um, the mental health of, you know, clients or yourself having to deal with what's going on specifically that? I think it's, I mean, it always has just like you, you said, absolutely. (laughs) But more so now, since it's, you know, so fleshed out, how do you feel? Is it different or is it just because now they're kind of like, you know, it's forced to be out there, so to speak. I mean, I think it's been difficult. I mean, I think starting with Trayvon Martin, it started being more difficult 
just also because everything is on social media and seeing everything. And, you know, unfortunately, we have a white supremacist as president. So, you mm-hmm. know, that doesn't help. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've definitely noticed since he's been president, it's just gotten worse. Mm-hmm. Like people you know, feel more scared, more worried because mm-hmm. it just seems like things are getting worse. And I and but then again, also, I think with social media, it's just everything is right there. Mm-hmm. I, I recommend to my clients all the time to get off of social media because it's just too much. And to not watch the news. Oh, my God. I had a two-week social media cleanse, and it was the best thing I did for my life. You have to do it because (laughs) it's too much. You go on there, you see too many things, and, I, you know, it's just a lot. (laughs) It's a lot to take It's really overwhelming. Yeah. And and sometimes there isn't a filter, which I think you think about, like, the Trayvon Martin – incident i'm like i don't need crisis i feel like i want to call it like it's not like it's a thing that happened but it was also like i think like you're saying like the first um like publicized issue that really like centered around racism and kind of bringing that to light and i think what a lot of people maybe don't realize or maybe are realizing now is like the fact that like to witness that is very traumatic. Like mm-hmm. in, in the Trayvon video, I don't know if there is even a video for Trayvon Martin, but since then there have been numerous yeah. videos and just, mm-hmm. you know, like these media portrayals of, um, you know, people have their phones and they're videotaping stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We've just been, you know, if you're on social media, like on, especially on Facebook, I feel like Instagram, you can curate your experience a little mm-hmm. bit better where Facebook, like stuff just comes up and you don't really get to choose what you engage with or not yeah, before it's already true. happening in front of you. Yeah, Raquel, um, you um, said a point that stuck out to me, just like kind of as I've been doing my own educating and reading, trying to be better at this. Um, and you said that it's been around forever, right? And in my reading, it was like, this is this goes back to Lincoln's presidency, right? And the, yeah. the constitution changes that um, we saw, and it was... Um, edited numerous times from, you know, to make sure there's no discrimination for housing and education and employment and abolish slavery. Um, and then also just this call for good political leadership, right? Like also like in our mental health community, like how can we use our platforms? Like I work primarily with like teens and young adults and I'm starting to have conversations mm-hmm. with them about voting in the upcoming election um, and mm-hmm. how, you know, how important all that is. And I think Anna, you pose a good question. Like what, I mean, for us, like, right, what are we seeing in the room? So for me, like treating teens, young adults, um, I sent out a newsletter when all this happened and I just encouraged parents like here and Malia had helped me, like, how do we have good conversations at home that offer a platform for your teens and young adults to talk about racism and how can you educate yourself so you're um, using more inclusive language that's going to foster those conversations? Um but I do think, Malia, you bring up a really good point. Like, it's a very, you know, like the word prickly. It is prickly. And I think uh-huh. even for myself, I still feel, like, apprehensive. Am I saying this right? Am I doing this right? Um, and if I'm not, <laughs> you know, just backstepping and apologizing, right? So um, mm-hmm. it's it's hard. It's challenging. I think it's really challenging. I would say, <laughs> I guess I'm curious for, because you guys work with, you know, older people. And um, Raquel, maybe you can speak to this a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. As far as like this showing up, like I had like two teens and like teens are like very, um, they want to do stuff. They want to be active. Yeah. Like, are you guys seeing that? Like people who are like, how, how can I help? And mm-hmm. how can I be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone. Yeah, I'm seeing that a lot with like with a lot of my clients have become more involved and a lot of them have been in the different protests and mm-hmm. trying to get people to vote mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So I think it's been really, really good. Um, you know, I do have some younger kids who are, I've seen increase in anxiety because not only are we still in, you know, quarantine sort of with COVID, there's that, the whole idea that they could go outside and somebody mm-hmm. could do something to them. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're all afraid of the police. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's hard, I can't really tell them not to be afraid, mm-hmm. but, you know. They they're just really afraid because they don't know what's going to happen or if somebody can shoot their mother or something. And it's you know, it's really hard to see little children, you know, so afraid of everything. 
Mm-hmm. It was a very real experience. And I just felt yeah. myself have like a very internal, strong reaction. You know, I mm-hmm. think about, you know, what someone going through. It's like, I, I, I can't fathom that, right? The fear of leaving your house because of X, Y, or Z happening. Um, yeah. That piece is overwhelming for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot, I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to think back on the conversations that I've had with my adult clients and, um, you know, I have a couple of them um, that are, you know, um, the, the one, one in particular that I talked about this at length with, and she said something really interesting. She said, you know, I actually was going somewhere and I, I felt the need to uh, take a, a Black Lives Matter uh, sticker and wanted to put it on my car. Mm. And, um, and then I was like, no, like, what if I, mm. what if something happens and somebody like uh, does something to me because they don't like what that means? Mm-hmm. So she's like, then I took it off. And, mm. but then I was like, wait, but what if my, you know, what are my uh, black friends and relatives going to think about me mm-hmm. if I don't show that support? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of uh-huh. like, um, you know, a double-edged sword mm-hmm. because she didn't know, you know, how to be and what to be. And even if I'm not at the protest or I'm not being that vocal, doesn't mean that I'm not mm-hmm. supportive or not um, an ally. An ally. And she, I mean, she's a, a, a Woman of color. a woman of color herself so it was a difficult thing for her mm. yeah and mm-hmm. we talked about that so that mm-hmm. was interesting for me to hear mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah oh. yeah i feel similarly i really would love to like plaster my car with like black lives <laughs> matter in like marker and and i feel like the same thing is like oh but what if mm. and i think you know, it, maybe that's like a personal problem in the sense of like, that's me being conflict avoidant. Like I tend to just be somebody who doesn't want to <laughs> ruffle feathers, but I feel like at the same time, like it's like, yes, we're talking about a pre- uh, racism, but we're also talking about oppression. And it's like, I don't want to see anybody be oppressed. Mm-hmm. And right now I really don't like, like the thought of like kids feeling like they're not safe they're not safe around police, the people that like our communities have designated, like these are safe people. These are our community helpers. Um, uh-huh. So it feels like same thing as like this feeling of like, I want to make my stance known um, mm-hmm. and okay. like set a really clear boundary about like what I will and won't tolerate from people. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I, I, um, I want to piggyback on that. Like I use this, this, I use this this week, just like with someone I was like, you know, that like, I'm offended by that language. Like I'm an ally to that community, Mm. you know? Mm. And people are like, and I was like, it's my position. Yes. It's a boundary. It's a boundary. I think, I mean, we talk, how many, how much do we talk to clients about boundaries in all these other realms? Like your work time, your self care, you're this, you're that. Well, also, you're bound you have boundaries with your activism and you have mm-hmm. boundaries with mm-hmm. like you know how people communicate around you yeah. i think you know you can only do what you're most comfortable with i personally i'm not that comfortable going to like protests and things not so much because i'm afraid anything's gonna happen but because i don't i i'm still worried about coronavirus mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. some, somehow it's eradicated it seems in parts <laughs> of this country i don't know <laughs> Don't know they when think. That they think it is. <laughs> they think it is. I don't know when that happens, but anyway. But I do try to do you know whatever I can. My daughter is very involved in a lot of activism stuff. Um, she's nineteen, mm. and so she's you know really involved. So I try to do what I can because I think it's really important. Because I, you know, I have black children, mm-hmm. and I'm a black person, and I have a black husband, and. I need to make, we have to live, we're living in this country. So I have Mm -hmm. to hopefully make some kind of changes because no matter what, this is where we are, at least for now, Mm -hmm. unless we Mm -hmm. go somewhere else, but November, we're all running away. Mm. Oh gosh, <laughs> I'm so scared for that election. You don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so anxious about that election. Yeah, I have chills thinking about I'm it so and not scared. like the good kind. Yeah. yeah, I'm so scared, but I'm trying, you know. Trying to be hopeful. Yeah, I mean, that's a good segue um, into, you know, what about the current climate protest politics? Um, how are we seeing this play out professionally, personally? So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're touching on a lot of those good points. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I think we've talked about this a little bit, right? Like the protests, like how did we see like clients wanting to respond or how did we respond? Um yeah, I think like Raquel said, like this, um, the, the intersection of also like there being a global pandemic. So like, how do I take action in a space and place where like 
there is a physical health threat. Like I kept thinking, I remember like those first two weeks in June, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. So mm-hmm. now we're protesting and black and brown people are going out in droves mm-hmm. to, uh-huh. in close contact with each other. Like mm-hmm. this doesn't feel congruent. It doesn't feel like, you know, like it just felt very um, incongruent is the only word I can think of is that like we okay. have this global health crisis um, we're being told to like lay low, stay home, stay apart. Um, uh-huh. and racism obviously doesn't care about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's so, also like this, this huge call to action during this really vulnerable time. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that yeah. for a lot of us, it was like, you know, being able to like physically protest, like that felt really great. I mean, I agree, Raquel. I was like nervous about COVID. I really was. And then it's being able to do all of this other grassroots effort, um, such as like doing our podcast or, you know, um, uh-huh. Malia organized this great um, learning proposal. And we did that um, via Zoom and all that stuff. So I think part of this is like, how do we keep the energy and momentum going right. uh-huh. past this just like initial, like, um, just this initial burst. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that yeah. tends to Thank happen you. with yeah. so many things, I think, yeah. you know, like movement, yeah. like all right. those things. Right. And I always have been, you know, pretty like, okay, this stuff happens and everybody makes a big hoopla because something goes on and, you know, we all get involved for a hot minute and then, yeah. you know, that's true. That all that happens all the time. So yeah. I'm hoping that maybe this will continue because you know, things have to change. Mm-hmm. Well, it's almost like you got to take it in shifts. I, yeah. I remember again when the protests were like really at the peak, you know, those mm-hmm. first few weeks in June, somebody had posted something that was like, none of us have work. Like you go Tuesday, I'll go Wednesday. Like, like really, like how do you shift the responsibility that so everybody um, who has the energy, like can use it and expel it. And, you know, again, like act, be activists and like letting other people rest, you know, uh, because it is such hard taxing work on top of like you have the, like we're saying, like there's a pandemic, there's school, there's uh-huh. all these other things going on that I think in the past, those have been the barriers to like real lasting permanent change because we can all really be like, Oh, I got to work and school and this. And I think like we're uh-huh. really in this unique time uh-huh. of like, there can be shifts towards growth and positivity if we don't um, get bogged down by like the little stuff. Mm. And I think also when you bring up a good point, like how can we all hold each other accountable? Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. And how can there be these, you know, every other month or quarterly check-ins of like, well, what have we done this quarter? Whether it's like as a practice or just as like a Monmouth County community, um, you uh-huh. know, in this area, I think that's something we can do. Uh-huh. Raquel, what has your experience been like as a woman of color and as a mental health professional in this world and in your practice? In in general? Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, in my practice, it's wonderful because I work for myself and I see the people I want to see and, you know, it's great. Um, I've been in the field for a long time, so... Mm-hmm. It was 1994 and I've seen a lot of changes, but I just, you know, I worked, my first job was in the Bronx mm. at a mental health clinic and it was me and one other black, um, therapist and a Spanish speaking therapist from Argentina, but she's not a woman of color. Mm. <laughs> but, and that we were, you know, that was it. Everyone else was just white mostly. And, um, so they thought that somehow me and the other black therapists, we knew everything about every black culture. Mm-hmm. So what, anything that happened, we were the ones who they'd ask. And it, it got exhausting because it's like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't know everything about every single black person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, but I've just found that I've, I've found that most places I worked, I've always wanted a few black therapists there. Even though, I mean, I didn't think social work was such a non-personal color industry, but I guess it is. And, yeah, I think mostly because I work always in mental health, so I think that's probably why. And, yeah, Mm -hmm. I've always just... And, 
you know, I still always asking questions or wondering how I know certain things or how did I get to where I've gotten and how did I become this? And, mm -hmm. you know, just, it was, it's just exhausting. And mm -hmm. I saw a lot of therapists who mean well, I guess, but, you know, they were still racist, mm -hmm. but they thought that they were, they didn't realize it was what they were doing was racist because mm -hmm. they thought they were doing something to help people, but really they were not. Mm hmm so, well, that's the white savior complex. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes, like that. Like mm -hmm. they think that they're saving, but they're not, and they mm -hmm. don't realize, you know. And so it's been difficult. I, I was, I didn't work for a long time when I was home with my kids, so that was nice to get away from all of that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And but yeah, it's it's been a lot to navigate, and you know that's one reason why I opened my practice was because. I wanted to be able to serve people. I wanted to serve and work for myself. And it's just been so much better. I love that. Mm -hmm. Taking care of yourself yeah. and yeah. your community, and which I think yeah. the mm -hmm. thing I feel like I've internalized as far as like being a black mental health professional is the value in treating clients who look like me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yes, I think for so yeah, I feel like before, even two years ago, like I wasn't really conscious of like the mirror effect of like your client, you and, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of idea, ideology. Um, but, but it's so healing and like your like choice, right? And just being able to choose who you engage in, mm -hmm. who you, mm -hmm. engage, mm -hmm. you know, services in and with and for, um, yeah. I think is really um, powerful and. Yeah, it is. I, I really agree. I think I, I've generally, because of where I worked, I've almost always had mostly black and brown clients mm -hmm. because I've always worked in New York City in mm -hmm. places where it's hard. But then the staff is almost always all white. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, it would be me and maybe one other person. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we'd always get the hardest cases because, you know, we we would somehow be the ones who were able to figure this out or whatever. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was just, it was difficult. It was really difficult. And just getting people to understand how culture can play a part in a lot of different things is also hard because it's not always, you know, not, not everything is just about the mental health. There's also other factors in there that a lot of times you'll just, you know, you don't understand because you're not, you haven't seen it mm -hmm. or you mm -hmm. just aren't understanding what's really going on. Right. Haven't experienced mm -hmm. it. Don't want to, don't want to learn about it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or feel like scared about it. Like I think yeah. Jackie, you were saying before that there's definitely a fear mm -hmm. of getting it wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so people will deflect that. Yeah. I mean, we all, I feel like we're all a little like, mm -hmm. who wants to mess up? Nobody wants to mess up. Of course. Of course. Up. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it definitely feels like it's come at a cost of like, like you're saying, Raquel, like the, expense of your own mental health and mm. your experience and uh -huh. your boundaries. And I feel uh -huh. like same, similar, like I worked in Newark for several years at a uh -huh. school where the kids are you know, all, almost all black. Um, and the staff is almost all white, uh -huh. but, and what they would do is they like leverage sometimes like, you know, so you have one black, you know, English teacher or math teacher and, oh, Johnny's having a hard time and Malia's already with a student. Let's send the English teacher to go deal with Johnny who's having uh -huh. an emotional meltdown. Well, just because you're a black teacher doesn't mean you have like the skills, the clinical right. skills to really like re regulate and co-regulate. Yes. <laughs> you're and so, not a therapist. Right. And so I feel like there's um like i don't even again that's a boundary like this person is not designated to provide this service but you're you're basically saying oh you both are black you guys go over there and figure mm -hmm. it out um exactly. you yes, know and mm -hmm. and i don't think like one thing i think as far as um like activism moving forward like one action i would really love to take is to um really like I guess one address that with for for organizations and people is like you can't just like delegate like these responsibilities that this person has no education or background for. Uh -huh. But then also giving some people the skills. So Raquel, you were saying like in mental health, there's I think there's a level of um I would think like social services, like I feel like I've run into many black women 
on like bachelor's level yeah. education or like they're like the client facing people or they're dealing with, you know what I mean? Like they're yeah. coming up across that, but they don't necessarily have all the clinical skills and knowledge right. for whatever reasons, access institutional racism, right? Like that's oppressing yeah. them. And I'm like, how can we get the education, like that interpersonal neurobiology, like all these skills uh-huh. to bachelor's level and or high school graduates who are like these client facing, um, consumer facing uh, roles, like they're the first line of defense and they're really supposed to try to help regulate a schizophrenic patient. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And they can't really. Mm-hmm. You know, so and that's true. exhausting too for them. Like I want to yeah. protect black women at every level <laughs> not just because you have like a master's degree or whatever of course because you know we need a lot of protection because nobody else is really protecting us mm-hmm. but yeah it's difficult i didn't when i did work at a substance abuse clinic there were other black people in like counselors you know but still it was the same thing i was the only one who had my master's degree mm-hmm. like they were counselors mostly with case acts and things like that so mm-hmm. they didn't really know how to deal with clients who had mental health issues. Mm-hmm. So that's why they hired me so that I could deal with all of that. And then the other people didn't have to, but then they never trained them really. So mm-hmm. it still wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I definitely, I, like I said, like a mission is to try to get like, like those feet on the ground skills, mm-hmm. like co-regulation, you know, like empathy, you know, and and like regulating themselves. I was a receptionist sitting at a thing and like a client comes in and they're really like, they're having an issue. Like I need to be able to self-regulate before I can like help do an intake with you or help get you to the person you need to get to. Mm -hmm. Um, That's so true. mm -hmm. How can, how do you think we all can do better? Um, everybody, all of us, uh, to be more understanding. How can we have the hard conversations that are uncomfortable? Um, you know, what is, you know, how can we all be uh, more responsible people of the earth to make sure that, you know, some of these things, um, don't go unnoticed or, or, or stop being heard? Mm-hmm. Mm, I think it's really important to just listen to people mm-hmm. and not think it's always about you. Mm. Um, like today, one of my friends posted on Facebook that most white people did not vote for President Obama. And I would say 50 white people said, well, I voted for him and every white person I know voted for him. Even though she didn't say that no white people ever voted for President Obama. <laughs> and most didn't, which is probably the truth. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, don't don't take everything personal. It's not mm-hmm. always about you. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. to just listen to what people are saying. Mm-hmm. Listen to others' experiences. Mm-hmm. Just you know, that's that's all. I that's what's really important. Just listen and really try to do what you can. And you know, don't think that that's because I say someone is. If I say white people are racist, that doesn't mean that I'm saying every white person is racist, or that I'm saying you're racist. It just means that you know, if you're white in America or in most Western countries, you benefit from racism. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's the truth. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean I don't talk to white people or I hate white people. It just means that that's what it is. I think yeah. for me, it's been like an educate and then disseminate, right? So uh-huh. try my best to learn ways to do better and get it righter, and then figure out avenues to be able to thoughtfully, you know, put the message to the masses, um, whether that's podcast uh-huh. or whether that's, you know, newsletter or inviting those conversations with um my clientele um Uh i also like have found myself like defaulting to malia if i have questions which i very much appreciate um Mm -hmm. just so i I can make sure i'm getting it right ish Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Uh i think yeah like raquel is saying there's the i feel like i keep seeing the word like decentering whiteness and decentering yourself like Mm -hmm. i think that's uh-huh. Um, is is trying to like and it's an interesting I guess dichotomy or like I don't know like decentering yourself but also looking at how maybe you contribute to the systems mm-hmm. that oppress others uh-huh. so mm. I think there's definitely like the listening with empathy component that's so huge like if somebody says like that was racist it's mm-hmm. not to be like oh no it wasn't you're fine like 
tell me more about how mm-hmm. you internalize that experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And then also like calling it out when you see it mm-hmm. and, and regulating the fear and discomfort of how somebody's going to receive you mm-hmm. calling out mm-hmm. something uh-huh. that you perceive to be oppressive. Cause that's, I think the other thing too, is why people don't speak up is because they are, it's almost like getting a bully and a bystander, right? Like mm-hmm. a bully is bullying someone. The bystander is like, Ooh, I don't know if I want to get involved because once I step in the mix, the bully now turns their attention mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, how do you get more comfortable being an advocate, which, which really is like, how do you get comfortable with being uncomfortable, which we all have so much experience with being therapists. <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> I think you're bringing up like, um, it's a cultural vulnerability. It can create like mm-hmm. a stronger bond and foundation to mm-hmm. have these conversations. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. This is for us. That's <laughs> 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 what's for us. Um, for me and you, I guess. For me and you. Um, you know, what's <laughs> what's our takeaway to date and how can we help? Um, and, you know, how can we help do this? So what what's your first? Um, I'm just going to share. Like, when this all started happening, I definitely froze. I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> um and then I was like, all right, well, freezing and inaction is remaining with the oppressor. Um, and so I'm just going to try and slowly take steps forward and try and learn again, like how to do this right-ish. Um, takeaways to date, um, there's a lot more to learn. Um, and I think even just in, I think for me, like with my clientele, I'm like, the lens feels really narrow and how can I thoughtfully intertwine it to be a bit broader? Um, that's my takeaway. I got to keep working hard to, to understand this more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's similar for me. You know what I mean? I, um, I grew up in New York uh, and I'm an immigrant myself. So, um, mm. I grew up in a very diversified neighborhood, um, and all my, you know, my, my whole, pretty mm. much my whole childhood. And I think it, it, when I moved to New Jersey 11 years ago, it's, you know, very different from, um, how I grew up in the schools that I went to and the population that I, mm. um, surrounded myself mm-hmm. with the friends that I had, um, my whole life. Mm. Um, it's very different for my children here, um, mm-hmm. in the neighborhood I live with versus where I grew up mm. and how I grew up. Um, so I, um, I find myself lucky to have had that experiences because I feel, um, you know, I've, I've kind of, you know, I don't know if this sounds corny, but I've always like looked at people for the person that they are. It just, it, uh, you know, and I know that it exists in the world and racism is real and hundred percent. But for me, it was always like, okay, this is just a human being. And I love you for being who the human being you are. You know, I, I, I felt uh-huh. like I'd never noticed that or saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and maybe it was because of, you know, the culture or the, the landscape where I grew mm-hmm. up. And I, I, it's important for my children to feel that way, too. And how do I do that in a place where they're not in that mm-hmm. same mm-hmm. Uh, space, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so trying to figure that out. <laughs> I think the other, like, part of this question was, like, um, has it evoked guilt for us? Um, I think... I think yes for me. Like, I, it, this has opened my eyes to a lot of white privilege um, that I do have. And... I hadn't known that I needed to educate myself further to understand what that meant and, and how that's played out. Um, so just being able to like reflect on my own chi- choices and like internal biases um, and just trying my best to understand the experience of um, my bi- my friends that are uh, the black community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> um. <laughs> So, and then Malia, I actually wanted to ask this a couple minutes ago, but this um, question will mm-hmm. go into that. So, um, just we've been hearing a lot of, uh, you know, white people wanting to use their privilege to amplify the voice of others. Um, so, with that, like, where do we go? Um, is there a stuck feeling which can ultimately lead to inaction? What I was going to ask Malia also was like, um, the white savior complex. Like, can you expand on that more? Is this kind of like what we're seeing with um, white people wanting to use their privilege to? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess I can't speak highly to it in the sense of like, I don't know the theory. I don't know the mm-hmm. whatever the ins and outs. I think I wonder, like, 
I've seen a few things floating around, like the the racism of social work. Like I think social work might might have also started as a profession of mm. white saviorism, mm. and it is a. It, I think it it's a fine line. It continues to be a fine line, even for like I'm a person of privilege, right? And so I also have to be conscious of like having an advanced degree and having access to, mm. um, uh-huh. you know, get licensure and things like that. Like mm. make me in a privileged place. Uh-huh. Um, so. I think it's, it's just being mindful of like, and I, I mean, maybe this was something that we like were integrated in social work school is just like, do you want to help them because you're going to feel better? Mm. Or do you want to help them because you want them to actually feel better? Mm. Uh I think there are plenty of people in the field who really just like want to like give themselves a halo and go to sleep every night being like, I help those poor black kids or I help those Uh poor whoever's, Mm -hmm. um, Uh And maybe hiding behind religion or hiding behind the profession of social work to be like, that's, it's just what I've been called to do. It's like, instead of like, well, couldn't you also be called to like remove the things that require your involvement? You know what I mean? Like, couldn't you be called to, um, you know, one of the, I think we, I put in there like thinking about like the education system and like my experience as a social work student, my experience as a, um, you know, employee and a colleague has been anyone around me or above me is a w- older white woman. Um, uh-huh. And so reflect, can the older white woman, women, wherever they are, if they're listening, like reflect on how they've shown up or not and how they've advocated or not to diversify and provide equity um, in their fields, again, in an academic institution or, uh, you know, like we're saying like, um, you know, some of the, uh, like a social services office, like why, like an older white woman should really, you know, be advocating like, no, these black women need to be trained. Like I can't have my staff being dysregulated, you know, on edge all the time because they're working with our clients. Um, so yeah, I would say, I don't know if that really answered your question. I kind of went off on a little loop de loop there, but <laughs> I think that, um, <laughs> a good point. Well, I no. mean, just to come back, it's like how, you know, what is, how are we using white privilege to amplify the voice of others? Right. Like, and mm-hmm. is that, is that a good thing? I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I feel confused about, you know, well, I think it's good and bad. It's a whole, you know, there's a fine line. Mm-hmm. I think it's good to use your voice to amplify others. But I think what's more important is helping other people who amplify their voice for example like there i mean many black women have written about racism and about privilege and everything else but the only one we person we ever hear about is that book um white white fragility Fragility. (laughs) which i was gonna say i have one right here yeah see you have one right i just got that one too yes (laughs) i also got Um, white rage and that's a uh black woman (laughs) right so Instead of always saying, oh, you need to read this by Robin DiAngelo, that's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can say, you know, Brittany Cooper wrote this, but that's another author. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the millions of other Black people mm-hmm. who have written books, especially Black women, because, of course, Black women, you know, are always the most important to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. always, I always put us above everybody. So, mm-hmm. you know, just think about that. Like, I think that that's always good. So that way it's mm-hmm. always, you know, that way you're promoting other people, mm-hmm. realizing that black people have been doing this. It's didn't all just start. Mm-hmm. And so while it's important for you, you know, I mean, it's good for you to say something, but I think the most important thing is also to just really listen mm-hmm. and listen to black women and, you know, black men too, of course. And, you know, just mm-hmm. listen to what we're saying because, like I said, racism didn't just start. I was marching for Rodney King back mm-hmm. in 1992 when I was mm-hmm. in college. Mm-hmm. That's how long ago. I mean, that mm-hmm. was a long time mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's been going on. And I just got chills thinking about that because that's a that's a long freaking that's, time. It's a I long time when ago. that happened. Yeah, I remember that. And that was traumatic, right? Yeah. And so, like, also, like, sitting with the empathy of feeling of... I think in that book, she says, she's like, if I really sat down and th- thought about it, she was like, I would start screaming and I would never stop mm. is like, yeah. that's the experience that I think so many people have had and had to suppress and repress and be like, Oh, everyone else is just going about life as if racism is just a blip. <laughs> it's not really like a thing. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And just so sitting with some of that. Um, and again, like we're saying, it's almost like you have to do it in doses or else you would overwhelm yourself into oh, yeah. that freeze place. Yeah, that's why I always tell my clients to stay off of social media. I tell mm-hmm. them to go on TikTok because TikTok is just fun videos. Li- yeah, TikTok is light. It's light. It's well- yeah, so just go on TikTok, watch some fun videos, and that's it. And that's don't worry it. about mm-hmm. anything else. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's too much. It gets to be too much. Mm-hmm. It's really overwhelming. So it gets yeah. just- And it does, I think people can really, um, what's the analysis paralysis? I think you said that, Jackie, about mm-hmm. something else before, but. Um, yeah, it's like you could really spend all day like just going mm. around and around. Circles. Yeah. 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 So just to piggyback. So breathing. Yeah. Uh-oh, not that again. <laughs> that breathing thing I love to do. Yes. Mm. Mm. Um, feel like so lot. just to piggyback off that, what have you already done? I guess maybe we did touch on this a little bit or we're waiting for people to tell you it's okay to act. I know, Malia, you, you hosted that wonderful, um, you know, you put together this wonderful little program for us. At, um, webinar. Webinar mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was awesome. Jackie was on Yeah, that. Yeah, it was so fantastic. I'll, I'll loop all in. So basically, um, yeah. there's a social justice uh, therapist in Colorado and we did like a two-hour... Um, exploring of um, the four eyes of oppression and we did kind of like a semi deep dive on adultism Mm -hmm. and so how adults um, knowingly and unknowingly oppress children. Mm -hmm. Oh wow. Um, That's so interesting. Yeah. It was really, it was cool. And and I feel like even with all this stuff, it's like, I hate to be like, wow, it's so cool. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't want to bring levity to something that isn't light and like enjoyable because Uh I feel like, it's almost like I want people, I'm like, this feels icky. You should feel icky. Some of these conversations are not bad. Um, but it was, Nora did an excellent job of kind of, you know, pushing our thinking and kind of um, providing uh-huh. definitions. And yeah, learning about the four eyes of oppression was, even for me now, I'm, I'm like seeing it I'm like, oh, oh, there's in- institutional racism. Okay. I see that. I see uh-huh. like, you know, it's, it, it's, it's everywhere. And it's, it, like, again, it does not feel good yeah. <laughs> learning about racism and how you may be contributing to it does not feel good. No, I, I kind of like I say to my fiance, I was like, if I made someone uncomfortable, that means I did my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like that's how mm-hmm. we grow. Right. Mm-hmm. Just getting a little uncomfortable. True, so I true. do think, Malia, that's a great point. Like these conversations aren't going to be easy and they need to be uncomfortable. Um, right. Yeah. That's very true. So as an individual in the social work, counseling, um, student professional, what have your experiences been? Looping back to what Raquel was saying about, like, like we said, like there's a lot of books and materials out there, right, about anti-racism and how to be, you know, um, an ally and an advocate um, by black women and men and other people of color. I think so thinking specifically about the mental health field, I was I started thinking again about like, who are all these people who are writing these books? We have like the body keeps the score. We have mm-hmm. even play therapy like is an older white man. Um, yeah. I'm, I have a stack of books right here. I'm sure I could a white person, white person, white person who wrote all these books about mental health concepts. Yeah. Um, who are like designated as leaders in our our field. Um, and I, I'm certainly curious to know if you have like, um, authors and or other mental health professionals who are black, um, or people of color that you recommend. I'm, you know, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but there, I know there have to be, <laughs> but well, this, it could be me and you, it let's could be start me and you, right. We'll start with that <laughs> because it does seem like, cause when I was in school back in the, you know, the other century. It was. <laughs> it, I don't think I remember reading anything by any black people, except for my um, dissertation, which was about working with Caribbean immigrants. Mm-hmm. So I found like a lot of different things in that. But generally speaking, all the, the biggest people in our field are white men, not even mm-hmm. women. So it's mostly mm-hmm. men. So mm-hmm. you know, it's almost all white men, and I. I find that the way I work with my clients is not necessarily what the way I was taught because mm-hmm. some of the things we were taught were taught in a way like 
to work with middle class and upper middle class white people. Mm -hmm. And I think people of color or even not only people of color, a lot of people, even just younger people in general Mm -hmm. are just not expecting you to be a complete blank slate and to sit there and not Mm -hmm. really interact with them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's how we were taught in school or that's how I was taught, you know, Mm -hmm. way back then. I don't know if things are different now, but, Mm. you know, you can't, that's just not the way it is. That's not how, I don't, I feel like our profession has not changed as much Mm -hmm. as it needs to, Mm -hmm. considering that we're in a whole different time and Mm. people need different things. And it's just, you know, we haven't really changed with the times, even just by Mm -hmm. seeing some things people post on Facebook and some of these groups. I'm just like, Mm -hmm. well. Yeah, you run a bunch of them. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yes, I know. I run a million of them. Mm But I don't let people post all these things in my group. I know. I remember yeah. when you switched the group to the inclusive. Uh, oh, were you was, in the other group? I was in the other group, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and then you switched it to inclusive self-care for therapist. Yes, because mm. that other one, that was something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. But, yeah, I think, like, well, and again, I think, like, how can I, like, enact change? And I think, I mean, the advice, I mean, not that so many people are asking me for advice, but how can I be a, an ally and an advocate? I'm like, well, stay in your lane in the sense of like, you don't need to go back to school unless you feel compelled to go back to school and do something different with your life. You could definitely certainly do that. I'm thinking, how can I take what I'm already doing mm-hmm. and infuse that with um, anti-racist and anti-bias practice? Mm-hmm. And I, for me, I, you know, think about calling things out and not in like an aggressive way, or I know like cancel culture is like a big thing right now, but like, you know, I am going to be teaching like a grad level class in September, I think looking at the book list and looking at the authors and saying like, how are we incorporating diverse Mm -hmm. voices in the materials that we're presenting to students Mm -hmm. of social work? Mm -hmm. Like, it seems like it should be a no brainer like we should, we need to like diversify the literature and diversify, you know, mm-hmm. what people are seeing and exposed to. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. But yeah, so I have to do some research on, you know, what yeah. kind of, um, what else is out there. I will say, so there's the book that, so you want to talk about race. And then there was another book that I um, recently bought. It's called Being the Change. Oh, um, I don't know that one. Lessons and Strategies to Teach Social Comprehension. Oh. Um by Sarah Ahmed. Oh, that sounds interesting. I haven't heard and of this, I think. So I've worked in schools for a number of years, and I think this one could be interesting to weave in, like kind of weaving in like social justice and mental health. Like I'm just, I'm going to try it out in September. Mm-hmm. I'll let you guys know how it goes. Yeah, right, right. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really going to have to like go down a hole and see, or like I said, Raquel, you and I can start writing the book. We could. I certainly. On uh, black mental health, kids, families. I, yeah. I think my friend actually did write a book. Um, Marlene Francois. It's a, now I can't think of the name of it, but it's for um, black girls. Mm. When I think of the name, I will send it to you. She's a, she's mm. a social worker in New Jersey. And well, I'm writing down her name. Yeah, Marlene, Marlene Francois. She wrote a book last year about helping. Um, oh my gosh, I don't know why the name is escaping me, but mm. it's about helping black girls mm. find themselves or something mm-hmm. like that. It's a really, really good book. So oh. that was something because she also works for a lot. You know, her practice is for black women and girls also, and she does a lot of that. Lovely. Yeah, I definitely yeah. found. Um, Again, like, I think it just like a dawning awareness. Um, And over the last two years when I was working at a high school and working with a lot of black families Mm -hmm. and specifically young black girls, I was like, I don't even know who to, I mean, this kind of circles back to my thing about like older white women as supervisors, but like, I'm like, I no, I want like an older black woman to guide me on how to like appropriately intervene. Because what I, I feel like a theme that I was seeing was, um, young black girls, 15 through 18, coming to me, um, anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. um, you know, dawning mental illness, like some really like intense stuff. And parents who were just like, oh, I've been depressed my whole life. Right. Yeah. It's unfortunate that we do that. Yeah. yeah. And just like, and ha- and not happy to be that way, but they're like, well, I'm glad she's talking to you, but I'm not going to go get help for me. Like uh, my, t- my ship has sailed. And yeah. that was really hard for me. Because I'm like, your wellness is attached to your child's wellness. Of course, but I think a lot of us just feel like it's, you know, 
if we're older, what's the point? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then also a lot, a lot of it also has to do with the church. Like if mm-hmm. you're really involved in church, mm-hmm. and depending on the type of church you go to, sometimes you feel like you're not allowed to be depressed because you're supposed mm-hmm. to just, you know, yeah, God is grateful. Yeah. I actually just, right. it's so funny. You just reminded me of something when I used to work at um, mental health clinic in the IOP and I was doing an intake on um, um she was a woman of culvert. She was, I, I, she was probably in her sixties, and she was referred by her. I guess the work, um, you know, how the work, no whatever. Been, and she, yeah, exactly. And I was, you know, asking her the intake questions and things like that. And I was like, you know, have you ever had any suicidal thoughts, depression, blah blah. And she was like, black people aren't allowed to to, mm. to do that. Like, mm. what are you talking mm. about? Like, she legitimately, she's like, I wish we would. We're stop not saying stuff like that. that's what she said. <laughs> She's. I remember that. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> because know? it's not true. We need mm-hmm. to stop. I know. And she's like, no, we're not not allowed to do that. We don't do that. Period. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, um, oh, that's yeah. I've heard that though. Yeah. But I mean, you know, Mark, I just want to plug your um your gal, Marlena. It's um the state of black girls. Uh, go to guide. Oh, yes. For creating yeah, yes. safe Thank spaces you. for black <laughs> girls. Um, Marlene Francois Madden. Yes, LCSW, um, MarlenePressois.com. So, yeah, we definitely want to plug um, some good resources <laughs> for our book. listeners. Um, I just want to thank you both for sharing and educating us and enlightening our listeners. Um, I just want to share, you know, for me, I'm trying to like this whole thing of like learning more appropriate language. So just like what I learned today in our podcast, some of the, the words that, that we can use to um, do this better and do this right. So racism discrimination, oppression, white supremacy, being an advocate, being an ally, black culture, institutional racism, decenter, decenter whiteness, um, being able to say, I don't know, or I got it wrong. And in the words of Raquel, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> <laughs> so we really appreciate your time. Um, Thank you so much. Um, being here. Oh. It's an important topic. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, yes. thank you. Thank you. So next time on Two Therapist Tales, uh, please join us as we dive into the experience of starting therapy and what it might be like for individuals who may be on the fence with beginning. Um, our closing quote is from Maya Angelou. Um, it is time for parents to teach young people early on that in diversity there is beauty and there is strength. It's true. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank Thank you, ladies. Take care. Thank you so much. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for therapy or mental health treatment. Please reach out to a licensed professional or facility if you are struggling and need to talk to someone.